everybody get ready for Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. A foodie born and bred, my wife Nikki loves chatting up chefs, dining out, and insider industry buzz. And my husband David thinks a great meal is nothing but a good burger, a frosty brew, and a check for under $20. Because he is cheap. Well, maybe so, but foodie married beast anyway. And together we've got the food and wine variety show that has everyone talking. It's Foodie and the Beast, and we are on now. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. We're starting our, I think, our 14th or 15th week at home. I've lost track. I've lost track. I got that ankle bracelet on. That's what it's like. <laughs> Uh, but we do have a great show today. Before we start, though, Nick, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about what's happening across the D.C. area and where they can get the info? Yeah, so uh, the last week has been really amazing and what's going on in the D.C. metro area. Uh, a lot of places are hitting phase two, which means you can actually dine in in some restaurants. Not everybody's on board yet. They're taking it slow and everybody needs to be patient with what's going on. So any restaurant that you want to go to, go online, check out what they're doing. Almost anybody who has a patio is offering patio service. Uh, and then there are people who are slowly engaging in the dine-in concept. We have all that listed on the list, areyouonit.com. Of course, we have listings of everybody who's doing delivery and to go because there are additions and subtractions every day. We have a patio a listing of everybody who's offering patio offers. I don't know if any of you out there participated in Bakers Against Racism. We featured them last week, but it was so, so, so amazing. Um, we're picking up our bread and jam today from Saver PR who participated. Um, but there's so many good things happening in the DC metro area and ways to participate. So please go to the listareyouwantit.com or follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S to find out everything that's going on. And one last plug, don't forget to check the calendar because every virtual demonstration, cooking class, um, all that kind of fun stuff is in there. And it is Father's Day tomorrow, Sunday, when this is airing. Yeah, I get so, one day um, a year. You get one day. This is it. Right, this so is it. during Father, there are still ways to celebrate Dad. You can check out everything on the list or you want to dot com. All right, David, go intro everybody. Who's well, I just want to remind everybody to celebrate me. All right. So uh, <laughs> last couple of weeks, we've been featuring uh, Rami nominees for Cocktail Program of the Year. I do want you guys out there to know you can go to at Nikki Nellis on Twitter or Instagram and get the cocktail recipe for what we're cooking up today. Alonzo Freeman joins us from the Royal, one of the Rammy nominees for that uh, cocktail program of the year. And we're going to be hearing from him. He is a barman, and I think you're also director of operations or some lofty title. So we're going to hear all about that, too. Uh, Mike Rafiti uh, opened Albi in the Navy Yard neighborhood about uh, two weeks prior to the lockdown. And um, some chefs have all the luck. So, But he was able to pivot quickly. Uh, to carry out delivery through uh, Skip the Line. And he also opened Yellow, which is a morning and daytime cafe. He'll be joining us to talk about how he is uh, is managing to swim upstream during the COVID crisis as it eases up a bit. Uh, Chef Johanna he uh, Hellrigel, who is the wife of our good buddy, we'll talk about that later, from West End's Mercy Me is going to join us. She loves bread. And when the pandemic hit, she wanted to help feed people, so she started giving away sourdough starters. And now folks from all over the D.C. area are rolling in dough. I had to say ha, that. Ha, ha. Thank you so much. Uh, pastry okay. chef Ashley Pearson of Petite Sir uh, 
I guess, always seemed destined to succeed. She won a $10,000 scholarship from Le Dame de Escoffier while working for Robert Weedmeyer and headed off to Paris to learn more about her craft at Le Cordon Bleu. And she's now back in D.C. And her pastries from Petite Sir are wowing folks. We're going to hear from her and hear about her journey there. And one of my favorite people, Dave Coleman, who along with Mike McGarvey founded Three Stars Brewing. He's going to be discussing his uh, global participation in, in Black is Beautiful, a beer project to support Black Lives Matter. And Three Stars also has a new CSB, Community Supported Beer Program. You're going to be hearing about all that. But let's start talking to Alonzo Freeman, who's going to whip up a cocktail to get us started right. Hey, Alonzo. How are you? Doing well. How are you guys? Good. So tell us a little bit about what the Royal's been up to. Uh, for us right now, um, trying to get a handle on doing to-go and delivery. Um, this is the fourth year we've been nominated at the Rammies for Best Cocktail Program. So it's a big honor, <laughs> especially for us. We're a very small like neighborhood, family-owned restaurant. So like being nominated with other places every year is kind of a big deal for us. Wait, who's well, the soaps? And- Who's the soap star that was nominated like 18 times before she won? Susan Lucci. There you go, buddy. But here's the thing about the Royal. So it's on this little corner, right? Like at between LaDroit, like right at the beginning of LaDroit, right? Yeah, right corner, Fifth and Florida. And it's so darling and charming. And you guys have an incredible coffee program. You have an amazing cocktail program. And then you have a food program, like for your little space, you got a lot of stuff going on. So let's talk about the cocktail program because that's what you're nominated for. Yeah, uh, I mean, myself and uh, Joseph Kenny, we both kind of uh, took the reins on coming up with all the cocktails, trying to use like local ingredients, um, but also adding kind of a Latin inspired flair to everything. Uh, That's our theme here, being a Colombian owned restaurant. Um, that's kind of where the ahi daiquiri came from. The cocktail make it for you guys. Just like a very classic daiquiri, but like made with our ahi sauce that has uh, jalapeno, onion, cilantro, vinegar, tomato, kind of giving it like a salty, sweet, spicy kind of notes of the cocktail. So how do you add that to a daiquiri? And, you know, just most people know that a daiquiri is not that frozen concoction with the whipped no, cream. Lots of strawberries. <laughs> so let's talk about like what a real daiquiri is first. What's in a real daiquiri? So ideally it should be super simple. So it's just white rum or just rum in general, lime and sugar, um, and then just okay. shaken and then strained into a martini or coupe glass. Uh, for us, we were kind of looking for a way to make it stand out. So that's why we added our ahi sauce for me. Uh, something the chef makes, I put it on everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was only like kind of a natural progression to add it to a cocktail. It sounds yummy. It sounds like something I would put on everything. Like it's not like, like a thin salsa. Don't put it under right. your arms. That's the only thing. <laughs> okay, so what's in the daiquiri that you're making and how do we make it at home? Since so we ours, don't all have access to the ahi sauce, what can we use instead? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I know, I'm so full ours, of just classic white rum, um, mm-hmm. our simple syrup, which we do two to one, so two parts sugar to one part water, um, okay. fresh lime juice. I imagine if you didn't have ahi, honestly, I w- I've done spicy daiquiris where you just muddle a bit of jalapeno in there and it kind of gives mm-hmm. it that, and maybe like a touch of salt in there to kind of give it that salty kind of spicy notes to it. Mm-hmm. That sounds I mean, delicious. Yeah, and that's, it's like super simple, something you could do. So let me ask you, as I, it, 
you said in the beginning that it's a big deal to get the Ramy nomination. Um, you know, I think a lot of people don't think about smaller restaurants. Like I think when they think of RAMW, they think of the big restaurants, but you guys find value being a part of it. Absolutely. I mean, so last year we won uh, casual restaurant of the year, which was a surprise and like an honor to all of us. Uh, after that, we kind of partied the night away after we won. Uh, I think I remember you. You had a lampshade on your head at the <laughs> Grammys. David actually wasn't there last year. I'm, but say, I'm, I'm glad you remember because I don't have a lot of memories <laughs> that evening. <laughs> oh my God. We have to do a show. We won't do it now, but we should do a show of like, people's non-memories of Rami Galas because could, it would be fun. Well, yeah, listen, we want to thank- like prom for the restaurant industry, it's great. The nerd prom, I know. Listen, we want to thank you so much for coming in today and for giving sharing your recipe for this cocktail. We wish you the best of luck in possibly winning. Um, and hopefully we'll be in studio soon and you can shake it up for us to taste. Absolutely, I would love to. Let's say we could okay. all have some non-memories together. <laughs> exactly. All right. Tell everybody where they can find the Royal, please. So we're at the corner of Fifth and Florida at a 501 Florida Avenue Northwest, uh, like right across from the post office, you know, on Florida Avenue. Mm -hmm. um, as of right now, you can order to go and delivery from our website, theroyaldc.com, where you can get the ahi daiquiri. Uh, we're doing them in to go bottles. So you'll get two servings for 20 bucks, along with like a lot of our other house drinks as well. Excellent. Nice. All right. Thanks so much, Alonzo. Thank you. Thanks for coming um, in. All right. Chef Mike, Graffiti. Mike Graffiti, got a question. Hey. You're a hey, celebrated hey. chef. Everybody loves how you cook. And you say to yourself, no I'm, I'm going to open my own place. And you open Albi and you're all ready to go. And you're open for two weeks. Everything's going great. And then the, the poo hits the fan with COVID-19. Uh, did you <laughs> go fetal and suck your thumb? What did you do? Yes, exactly what I did. No, no, it's That's really cool. like just trying to figure out, you know, you know, how do we pivot? How do we do it now? Like, let's not wait until let's not see what happens. Like, we got to make moves as soon as we can. So we, we well, changed for, right to, to go right away. Well, let's talk about, first of all, the concept, um, because you are a new restaurant. Tell us a little bit about what you want it all be to be, like the kind of food you're serving and the kind of flavors yeah, and textures and what you were doing. Yeah, well, you know, all wood fired cooking, um, Middle Eastern food, but not not just focusing on the whole Middle East, the big place, focusing on the Levant region, but not specifically one country, not just Palestine, not Israel, not Lebanon, not Jordan, just the whole region as a whole to kind of like bring people together over food and uh, like that flavor profile. And what so for people who maybe aren't familiar with that flavor profile, what sort of like spices and herbs like are you thinking like what were the flavors the, that we're looking for really trying to to balance you know the lemony uh lemony with like a lot of like you know smoky flavors charcoal cooking like you know you get some like you know shish kebabs with your hummus and a lot of house-made pita we have a, <clears throat> an oven that just cooks pita bread so it's like you know the the flavor of that region is just like you know lemon and herb and uh trying mm -hmm. to really balance that with the smoke so when you, with your oven, what kind of wood are you using? We use cherry, cherry and a little okay. uh, hardwood as well. But okay. Mostly and do, there's with, a lot of uh, mesquite charcoal as well. And was that something you played with to get the flavors that you wanted? Yeah, yeah. For a couple of years doing pop-ups or really a full year of doing pop-ups, really just testing 
testing recipes out over different, you know, different charcoals and woods and different, you know, we have like 15 different pita bread recipes and we finally dialed in one. So, well, well what, pita, oh, sorry, David. Go well, ahead. I just want to ask what sort of drove you in this direction? I mean, you could have, you could have picked a lot of different. Yeah. Cuisines. What made it happen? I grew up, I mean, I grew up in Maryland, um, you know, really just eating this kind of food. My, my heritage is Palestinian. I don't speak any Arabic, but, um, you know, my grandfather, my grandparents are from Palestine. So I grew up eating this food. I was never really like passionate about this food growing up. And, you know, when I started cooking, I was all about French food and, you know, Amer new American food or modern food, all, you know, all the stuff that, uh, you know, I've cooked before, but over the past couple of years, it was like, you know, I really want to come back to DC and, you know, cook the food I grew up eating and like something that's a little bit more personal to me rather than, you know, I'm not French. I never uh, cooked in France before. So I think this food is very much a part of me and I've been thinking about it for so long. It's finally, it's fun to just like put it on a plate now and order it to go box either way. But, um, <laughs> well, we have to take a quick break. But when we come back, I want to talk about what's going in those to go boxes and uh, the launch of your all day cafe, because I just had food from there and it was scrumptious. This is David and Nikki Nellis, awesome. it's Foodie and the Beast. We're talking with Chef Mike Rafiti. We'll be back in just a sec. We're back on Fooding the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis and Mike Rafiti, who is the chef owner of Albi over by the Navy Yard and also Yellow, which is a great little breakfast cafe. Uh, Mike, why don't you talk a little bit of, uh, about Yellow and how all that came to pass? Because you opened it in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was always a part of the plan to open up this cafe right after uh, Albi. Um, it just never was a plan to happen, you know, during the pandemic. But I thought what better time to do it to go breakfast for people that are staying at home uh, than now. So I just, you know, I didn't put too much thought into uh, when we were going to do it. It was one day it was like, why don't we just open yellow next week? And we just did it. So. Well, so when you, when the pandemic happened, I know it sounds like you just yeah. like winged it a little bit. Oh, I just opened up a place uh, two minutes ago. I just want to let you guys know. <laughs> <laughs> That's so kind of what happened. That's what it felt like. When the pandemic hit and you decided, okay, we got to go to do to go for your, for Albay, did you feel that you had to rework your dishes to be to go friendly or were you like, no, this you know, when we good. first flipped it to go, we just started putting our normal menu to go boxes. It didn't work out the way we wanted to. And then I realized that, you know, there's a whole business on to go food. We might as well figure out, you know, how does food travel? Let's, let's uh, do a little bit more R and D on, how to make the food travel, you know, an hour to someone's house. So that, that's what we did with Albie's food. Mm -hmm. And for people who haven't had the pleasure of dining in Albie, can you give us a couple of dishes? Like, I know you said shish kebab and like, but how do you yeah. advise people the, to eat through the menu there? Uh, I think, you know, the menu is written in a couple, you know, there's a couple different sections. There's a pita section with hummuses. So like, I've, obviously you get pita and hummus. Everyone should get that to start the meal. There's some mm -hmm. snacks. There's some meza. And then uh, something we call over charcoal, which is really just our, uh, it's our entree section, which is like smoked chicken, like a smoked whole baby chicken. Uh, we always have barbecue lamb on the menu. We get whole lamb from Virginia and just break it down and do all kinds of uh, different techniques of like smoking and curing and just grilling it. So there's, uh, sure. there's plenty of options on the menu. There's a ton of vegetable dishes on the menu. So it's not really... Um, it's not geared in one direction. It's not really meat heavy or fish heavy or vegetable heavy. It's just like, it's a nice balance on the menu. 
Is there something specific on the menu, either at Yellow or Albi, that when you eat it, you're like, God, that brings me back to home or brings me back to when I was six? Is yeah. there something on the menu? Viha, uh, which is the first thing on the dinner menu or the snacks, it's a, it's a Lebanese meat pie. Um, mm-hmm. I grew up eating it. You know, it's all over the Levant region. Everyone has their own different recipe for that. But it's a it's a little like, you know, um, about softball shape. Um pita bread with uh, lamb sausage and then it's baked in the wood fire oven with some pine nuts and served with garlic like uh, tomb which is like a garlicky mayo that doesn't have any egg in it so it's just Mm -hmm. like I grew up eating those things Um, never grew up cooking that you know I just like used to steal from my grandmother and and just uh, you know snack on them all day finally a confession right so I got a quick question Mike we've got probably a minute and a half we were having kebabs the other night and we we're talking about where, you know, because, uh, you know, from Afghanistan to Lebanon, to Israel, to Palestine, Pakistan. to, you know, you know, to Pakistan, you know, the kebab is the thing, but it's not the thing anywhere else. And it's basically, you know, pieces of meat and vegetables on a, on a stick roasted over the fire. Any, any, do you know where all that sort of came from? Why that, why cooking? Honestly, that I have no idea, but I mean, even Japan has, you know, yakitori. I mean, meat oh, on a right. stick thing. You, you go, you go to Scandinavia, they have some kind of meat on a stick, like hot dogs. Or it's uh, people like meat on stick. I guess I don't know. I don't well, know where it originated from that. I mean, I'm I'm not a food historian, but if you think about it, people had to cook over a fire, so you put it on a stick. Yeah. And you put it on the fire. Yeah, I mean, very medieval. Yeah. Um. So just lastly, let's just talk um about the cafe and what you're serving there. And um, people can get it to go. How, do, how does it work? Yeah, I mean, you, get, you can come and order uh, coffee and pastries in person at the door, mm-hmm. or you could order to go mm-hmm. to go lunch uh, through Toast, Toast app. Okay. Um, uh, I had it pastries. the other day. It was delicious. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. But I didn't get enough pastries. I have to come back for the pastries. <laughs> I just have I don't to know. Saturday Mikey. and Sunday, we do more brunchy stuff as well. Like I don't know. It sounds to me like she received your check or something. She really <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, just lastly, Mike. So, are you serving in? Like, what's the? Not yet. Not yet. Uh, so we don't in- have a plan yet. We, you know, we will as phase two starts happening, open up the dining room in very limited capacity. Just no okay. real plan for that quite yet. But and do you have, have a patio? Tons of you do. Yep. Okay, we have great. Like fifty seats on our patio, so it's a whole new, whole new world out whole there. Whole new world. All right. Well, listen. Thank you for joining us today. We're so excited for your concepts and uh, congratulations on both. And uh, we'll be in soon, hopefully. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks right. for having me. Bye. See you. We're joined now by Chef uh, Johanna Hellrigel. She's uh, she's working out of uh, West End's Mercy Me, and she happens to be the wife and the sister-in-law of two of my favorite people, Micah <laughs> and Ari Wilder. We'll talk about Micah later, and I hope he'll show up. But um, the pandemic hit, and you got you wanted to feed people, and you wanted to help people eat. And you got into making sourdough. No, no, no. Shush. Let me <laughs> let me set the stage. All right, I'll do that. So the pandemic hit, and Johanna was already a well-known chef in the city, and you were already you had this starter. You had already shared with people your sourdough story and starter. But when the pandemic hit and everybody started sheltering in place. There was a run on yeast and and uh, flour. People wanted to start baking, and you were there to help them through it. So, like, tell us the story about your starter. It's your father's or what? Give us the yeah. whole run. 
Um, so my father is from Alto Adige and my mom's from Liguria in Italy. And so um, Alto Adige is like the part of Italy that has uh, all the apple production, mostly for Europe. Um, so these amazing apples, great wine as well. Um, but they had, uh, I was just like so um, stuck on wanting to take that apple and create like a wild yeast sourdough. Um, so I started it in about September. I'm not going to tell you how I had that apple brought to here because that's okay. not illegal. <laughs> um, but I had it and, you know, I was fermenting it. So it's a little bit different. It's not like I'm planting seeds of it. But basically, I was really interested in taking a little bit of my history and my culture. My dad passed away, but he was a, a chef. And so it's kind of like a little ode to him and wanted to figure out how to be able to use that because it gets a particular flavor um, to make sourdough. And I started that in September. I gave like a couple away to like close friends or people who said they like sourdough. Um, and then when, you know, the pandemic hit and, you know, we weren't opening and people were kind of like talking about what they were going to do in COVID. I was like, does anybody on Instagram, you know, want some sourdough? And, um, I, I guess I had like 4,000 followers or something. So putting that question out can kind of lead to more <laughs> answers than you expected. And, um, yeah, over time it just exploded. And so I had like lists of a hundred people I could crank out like up to 30 a day that I was giving away from my front porch. Okay. So that's my question. So <laughs> I was gifted, not your sourdough starter, but David Hagedorn. David, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I was gifted his sourdough starter and I was like, um, yeah, thanks. Now I have to feed this thing. And so but here's what I don't understand. So I did feed it for like six weeks, but I have to be honest, I'm not yeah. making sourdough bread. So like, I don't know what's <laughs> happening here. So you, so you, you take a little bit of your sourdough starter and then you feed it. And then what did you do with the rest? Is that what you gave away to people? Like I couldn't yeah. figure out how you were doing it. Yeah. So you basically like your discard, which after you feed it, whatever's left over before you feed it again, because you want to do a smaller amount um, mm -hmm. is what you're giving away. And so instead of it being like one ounce of sourdough starter, one ounce of flour and one ounce of water, I was doing like, you know, I had like five different mason jars of it. Um, and right. it's funny because some of like my male chef friends, uh, they like were thinking like such boys, they were like, Oh, bigger is better. So they started like taking the sourdough I gave them and they would just like feed it like into like huge cambros and quarts. And I'm like, you don't need that much sourdough. Started. How much do you need to actually do a loaf of bread? To do a loaf of bread, like you need literally uh, like 25 grams or 50 grams, like between that amount to create the Levon. So basically you do a separate feeding of that uh, sourdough starter to create that that loaf of bread. Um, and that rests for like maybe six hours and then that's what you use to make your starter. You don't take a large amount of your actual sourdough starter to make bread. And that's where people got confused. Um, you know, it's- Well, and not only that, sourdough yeah. bread is a pain in the tush mm -hmm. to make. Like it's labor intensive, that's why this, that's why I'm not doing it. <laughs> I hope though that people now like 
when they read sourdough on a menu or they read that a bakery is doing sourdough, like they have a little bit more of a, an appreciation for it because it's literally like a two day process to be able to make like two loaves of bread. <laughs> so, right. It's you know, super labor intensive. It's a lot. And so I was trying to give people like recipes, whether it was like a basic or a little bit, you know, a couple different flours based on what people were able to get. And I was trying to give them advice on like how to be able to do that just because as you said, sourdough is hard to understand. And so I was trying to simplify it and put it into a little bit of an easier like terminology because it doesn't like you can read that book, flour, water, yeast or whatever. Like that's a great book, but it's like, it's so complicated. Like, you know, so complicated. Like I, math was not my subject in, in school. Like I was really, really bad at math, but somehow I've gotten sourdough and it doesn't have to be that complicated. Well, it's also the whole grams thing, right? And you know, I don't know what it is about people and grams, but like you say grams and people are like, I have to buy a scale. I mean, the scale costs $25. So I don't know what, what the problem is, but there is a big like wall with Americans specifically. Yeah, because we don't use the metric system. Hello. But I, I know, but all you need is a scale. That's all, all you right. need. Sourdough also sounds a little bit like the little shop of horrors because it's this living <laughs> thing that can eat you when you walk into the kitchen. I don't know. <laughs> I've definitely seen people like have it explode. I've had husbands call me because their wife was crying hysterically oh. <laughs> because they left it in the oven with the light on to like, you know, keep it in a warm space in their house and the like the husband turned on the the oven and like exploded their sourdough and I like, felt so bad. It was just and that was like more than one occasion of people doing that. So it's it's definitely a lot of work, but I think people were looking for something to nurture, something to take care of, um, a really nice way to feed your family. It's like a tangible thing you can hold in your hand that you've done. But I'd say 80% of the people who got my sourdough starter got it because they wanted to make my banana pancakes. Like I don't think everybody was like, I want to make bread. They were just like right. pancakes. Which are so bread. now all that stuff is on your, all your recipes, everything is on Instagram, right? So people. Yeah. So I have a lot of the recipes on Instagram so people can go on and they can look at the recipes. Um, but I was working on a sourdough like ebook um, to sell, to actually benefit color of change during um, oh, great. what's kind of been happening right now. Um, but then we decided to like open very quickly. And so I'm like trying to balance both things right now. Um, but I really want to get it out there because I have extra recipes and kind of like the who, what, where, when, how of of sourdough just in very simple terms. Um, Cause every time I did like an Instagram live and like answered questions, I realized like what the basic things were that people weren't really getting when they like would Google it or whatever. Um, okay, yeah. we have to take a quick break. So uh, we're gonna take a quick break. We'll come back and then we'll have about two minutes and we can talk about Mercy Me. Perfect. Okay, this is David and Nikki Nellis. We just went through sourdough. So you've either made it or you haven't, but you can certainly buy it. You haven't. Uh, we'll, <laughs> not. We'll be back in just a sec. We are back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis. Johanna, we've got a couple of minutes left here. Tell us about Mercy Me and what's going on there. 
Yeah, mm -hmm. so um, Mercy Me is in the West End area across from Rasika. It's uh, a new hotel called Yours Truly, and Mercy Me is the restaurant inside. Um, we've got a cafe. We'll be opening up a really nice bar with Micah, my husband. And um, we've also got a restaurant where we'll be having like brunch sit-down service, hopefully soon, as well as dinner service. Beautiful patio space, um, sort of South American, and um, working with Andrew and Danny, who own Call Your Mother and Timber Pizza. Uh, so it's been a really fun project to take a little bit of our travels and our inspiration and what we love about those flavors and obviously put our own little twist on it. Um, but we're, So I have a quick question yeah. about that. So did how did the four of you come together to open up the space? Over bagels. <laughs> <laughs> or sourdough. I sat in, uh, I actually had them over for dinner to celebrate their engagement. Um, and they actually were already like, they developed kind of the concept with the hotel and um, the actual space. So they've been in this project for a while. And, you know, over dinner, we were just kind of chatting and they like loved kind of the food I was making. And they were like, hey, do you guys want to, and the drinks Micah was making, and they're like, do you guys want to do this with us? And we're like, well, hell yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. Um, I went to GW, so I've been in this area for, well, Mike and I bought a home and we moved all the way to Northeast, but I know this area like the back of my hand, so I'm super excited to be here and, and give it a little love. So I have one last right. question. Are you, are you fluent in Italian? Si, per sicuro. Ah, si, allora. <laughs> you ever yell at... Uh, do you ever yell at Mike in Italian and he just gives you that look like, huh? It's my first language. So my mom and I like go really hard sometimes on it. And Mike is just like patiently sitting there like, I don't know if I can curse, but he's can in Italian. <laughs> I got to learn this language already. You know? All right. La prossima volta parleremo in italiano. Va bene. Okay. okay. Ciao. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Right. Thanks for joining us. So, Ashley, welcome. How are thank you? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for, joining Thanks for having me. You have yeah. had quite an exciting time. Uh, we're going to let you tell your own story, but I, I just have to say that after reading your, your bio and all of that, you, you and tasting your food, you're uh, you're a natural. You were destined for this. So why don't you oh. tell us a little bit about your journey? Uh, kind of start with the scholarship from Le Dame and take us through. Absolutely. So um, the kind of highlight of my career was actually that scholarship. So I was working for Chef Robert Weedmeyer at Marcel's um, and I've been with him for some time. It's actually my first restaurant job and I was working in the pastry department and I decided that I wanted to have extra training. You know, I just wanted, even though I was getting an awesome experience learning under Chef Robert, I wanted to have formal training um, because I just realized that when you're making these creations, you know, they're so personal to you and you feel you're telling a story, but if you don't have that technical aspect, sometimes, you know, you can kind of feel like you, you're not quite telling the story right. So. That being said, I reached out to an organization called the Dombey Scoffier. They have a DC chapter. Um, well, but, um, I, Robert's wife, Polly, is a member, right? She is a member. So it was a perfect kind of guide. I actually didn't even tell her until after I applied because I was so nervous and she's so supportive and she was so excited. And she's like, you're going to get it. This is going to be so excited. And she's exciting and she's championing me and during the whole experience but yeah I was very nerve-wracking I went through this um, long process um, but 
I eventually won the scholarship that allowed me to take the trip to Cordon Bleu in Paris. Um, and that's kind of where things just kind of went from there. It was just really exciting and a great opportunity for Madame Desgafier. I have to ask a question because it, it never occurred to me until I, I read your bio. Do they teach courses in English or did you have to learn French? Such so, a good question. I never thought about it. I had a translator who I quickly realized I needed to learn French <laughs> because the translator is not always there. She steps out. And when you first get there, I mean, I took French in college, but I mean, sometimes you have to kind of say, how much do you, do you really take away right. in college? Um, so I quickly learned French. I was also taking French classes. Um, so wow. while taking French classes, I'm kind of working at the Cordon, uh, learning at the Cordon Bleu and the chefs do encourage you to just look, use your senses, you know, don't be so caught up in every single word that I'm saying. Take in what you're seeing, take in the technique, taste, taste, taste. And, you know, take it in from in that sense. And so I actually realized I was learning so much more by not being so obsessed over every word the chef was saying. But when you constantly see different people making similar recipes and you see the way that they're touching the dough, the way that they're moving, you know, the dough or the way that they're slowly incorporating that meringue into the souffle, you start to understand it's a feeling. So the feeling is definitely communicated and translated even without sometimes the language. But I did get a bare basic level of French going. So you came back and uh, you worked with Thomas Keller. Yes, at Per Se. At Per Se, which yes. is, I mean, your resume is very impressive. But, you know, you worked as a pastry chef, but now you've opened up your own business. And there's a big difference sort of between being a pastry chef and being like a baker, uh, right? An, and, an entrepreneur too. Yeah, and producing that way. So what was it either that you learned or what was it, what what were you like, this is what I want to make. This is what I want to give to people. How did you come up with the offerings that you have? So exactly like you said, when I started my career, I've always been a pastry chef. So, you know, that means, you know, layer cakes and sponges and mousse and all of these kind of items. Um, also when composed, I, composed dessert. Absolutely. Right? Composed dishes. Certainly. Oops. Absolutely. And when I started actually at Per Se, my first job was the cake station. So I made the specialty cakes. If someone wants to come in and have a tasting, I'm running to make all these little entremets. And that responsibility, um, that job also had me making candies and confections. But shortly after, I was very fortunate to do well in that position and I was offered the position as head chocolatier um, and so that required an immense training um, that I had to go through in order to take on that position it is um, very tough very challenging but then you find yourself every single day my job was to make 1200 bonbons from when I entered until when I leave and if you've ever seen the bonbons they're these little you know but all these delicate little you just candy. said her favorite word because she loves to sit at home and eat bonbons <laughs> I do. you can tell right that's what i do i just lay on my shoes lounge and pop them in my mouth all day as long you should. as one I, should. I have to peel grapes <laughs> and hand her bonbons yes but i started to realize this was a new world and i sometimes think that people kind of group everything into this category that 
if you're a pastry chef, you're you're a chocolatier, and if you're a pastry chef, you're also a boulanger, you know, bread maker, or um, that you have all of these kind of specialties. And when you're a pastry chef in a restaurant like I was, you touch on all of these things, but you have a real straight focus on making, you know, plated desserts for the restaurant. So I kind of was pushed into this um, position now, chocolatier, where I realized all of that energy and all of that story that I was putting into these composed plated desserts with all these components, I can do that in just one bite of chocolate. I can say so many things with just multiple layers um, of feelings within these chocolates. And I was instantly like hooks, hooks like chocolates. So then you came back to DC and now you started your business. You're actually doing it out of one of Robert Wiedemeyer's Marcel's kitchens. Yes. <laughs> which is amazing. I mean, that's a gift that keeps on giving, obviously. Certainly. So. Let's well, you know, people... well, we should add, Robert is our neighbor. I'm thinking of going <laughs> and living living in his house. Oh, he has a man cave. Let's do it. <laughs> I'm a man. You could go live in his man cave. You do yeah, that. I uh, so, Ashley, I, I'd love for people, because we only have like two minutes left, I'd love for people to understand what they can order from you, what they can buy from you. I mean, I'm obsessed with your Sebley cookies. They're so... They're so everything I want, and they're, the flavors are so unique. Um, it sounds like you're having a lot of fun in the kitchen. Yes, absolutely. So right now, if you go on my website today, it's all sablay, sablay, sablay. So traditionally, the business is based in chocolates and chocolatiering. As everyone has kind of made this pivot, the sablays actually were born out of what I wanted to eat during quarantine. And I found mm -hmm. myself making them so often that I decided, hey, I'm going to put these on my menu. And so I've shared them for Father's Day. Um, but generally, I typically have a lot of chocolates on my website. So right now it's kind of a, a cookie pop-up, which we're doing this weekend. But moving forward, going on my website, you're gonna see fudge and caramels and our layered bonbons. And very, very shortly, we're actually gonna be able to ship those items nationwide. So oh, how kind of check back often. Everyone's you know making this pivot. Typically my business is based in like wholesale and making you know beautiful bonbons direct to customer and to businesses. So this is my first time launching a platform that's direct to customer, and it's been fantastic to just kind of see how people respond. But right now, cookies. But moving forward, you'll see lots and lots of chocolates that will be available for people to go on and purchase on. So, what is your web address? Because we want to make sure people know. It is www.petite-sur.com. So that's a tricky, tricky, tricky one. So it is a tricky, tricky, tricky one. <laughs> well, that is P-E-T-I-T-E-S-O-E-U-R.com. Okay. And for people who don't know, what does Petite Sur mean? It means little, little sister, sister. Little sister. I mean, the little sister. I came in on a conversation <laughs> when we were off there. So no matter how old I get, for some reason, my brother's still refer to me as their little sister. So I've just embraced it that I'm always little sister and kind of made it a joke that I- Well, I have to that. say, cause we have you on the screen here. You, for somebody that's around all that chocolate and all that you're good tiny. stuff, you are little. Yeah, you're tiny. I don't know how you did that. People you're think we're eating it all day. You know, you taste a lot of things, but you, you know, you're not always eating, eating, eating. But yeah, I have to oh, sometimes kind of slap myself on the wrist like, okay. I, I would be. I would be. If I had a business, it would be called the Big Fat Brother. <laughs> we'll do a collaboration with that. It would be accurate. Anyway, Ashley, thank you so much for joining us. Congratulations on all your success. 
uh, stay in touch with us, keep us posted on what you're offering and what you're doing. We wanna share that um, on our platform uh, and we wish you the best of luck. We're gonna take a quick break. This is David and Nikki Nelson, Foodie and the Beast. When we come back, forget your CSA, we're gonna be doing CSBs. We are back on Foodie and the Beast with David and Nikki Nellis, joined by one of my favorite people on the face of the earth, Dave Coleman, who along with his partner, Mike McGarvey, started Three Stars Brewing. And now they are stars to the world, these guys. Uh, hello, Dave. <laughs> hey, how are you guys this morning? Hey, Dave. So let's uh, talk about, you uh, had to, like so many people we talked to, you know, uh, the pandemic hit, you had a brewery, an event space, uh, you sold beers to restaurants. Um, so your entire business model went up in smoke pretty much, pretty quickly, right? Like, what did you do? Yep. <laughs> um, we did a lot of different things. Did you do um, a lot of drinking, I hope? <laughs> well, At first, know. yes. <laughs> right. Um, one of the main things that we did was, unfortunately, it was, um, you know, a brand new event space, 5,000 square feet that we we're planning on hosting a bunch of weddings and uh, parties and things like that. And that went up in smoke after spending way too much time and way too much money um, trying to get that open, um, which we hope to reopen it at some point. Um, but uh, so we, we shifted and we moved to a delivery model and the curbside pickup model. And then we started improvising from there and uh, built a CSB. So very similar to a CSA, but this is community supported beer um, instead of agriculture. Uh, so yeah, you shift, you make moves, you gotta, gotta figure out a way to keep the lights on. Well, so let's talk. So with a CSA, you know, basically the concept is, is that you can either pay in bulk or monthly or weekly um, to a farm or farm collective. And then every week or every month, whatever subscription you buy, you, um, you get that product. And, um, yep. and, uh, you know, it's a great way to support farms. So how did you how did you turn it on a dime? What did you do in order to make it a CSB? So we're so one of our um, one of our primary investors kind of like mentioned the idea to us. And then Mike and I put our heads together and we were like, all right, so what would that look like? Because, you know, with the closing of all the bars and restaurants, our production schedule has changed. So we've become a bit more nimble, which is actually kind of nice. It kind of goes back to old days. Um, but uh, it, we're still we're still working on it. I mean, it changes week by week. It's it's very similar to the CSA model. Um, you sign up, you get a box, and based on your membership level, uh, that box might be like. A couple four packs or it might be a couple four packs and some growlers or a couple four packs some growlers and some vintage bottles and then we've also partnered with locals um local uh, suppliers and small business owners to do add-ons 
So we've worked with Sloppy Mamas. We've worked with uh, Sloppy Anus. Um, we've done just a whole bunch of stuff to add to the package so that you can you can get a kit. And so you buy your, your normal CSB. And I'm in, next week, I want the Sloppy Mamas slider kit add-on. So in the bag is this add-on, and then you're like, oh, so for tonight, I've got beer and dinner. Right. I don't have to go anywhere, you know? So, yeah, we've been trying to do a lot of that. And it's it's really fun because we have so many partners in the city that we're able to, like, support by reaching out to them. And they're enhancing our product that we're offering as well. So it's it's very mutually beneficial. And I think that's pretty pretty awesome. Well, and with the change in sort of phases, how does that work for you guys? Like, what are you guys, because are you DC? You're yeah. in Tacoma Park, you're but in, you're DC. You're in Tacoma Park, DC, right? Not Maryland. Well, Tacoma, DC, yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, so how does it work for you guys? <laughs> like everything like, with this, uh, like this situation, we're you know kind of rotating and i hate the word but and pivoting all the time trying to figure out how how that's going to look and you know we're looking at you know health guidelines and want to make sure that both our guests and our staff are all safe mm -hmm. um, so we're trying to take you know the, the major precautions um opening up on Monday, I don't know that we're going to have that yet. Um, we have we have practices in place right now, but the idea of actually having guests inside of the building, um, I'm, I don't know where we are right now. Well, okay. let me ask a question because yeah. um, uh, you know Nikki hates to hear me say this, but nothing's really changed. There's no vaccine, and there isn't a lot of testing. Do you guys have any concerns that it could sort of revert back to, you know, the true crisis again? Absolutely. <laughs> I, 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 personally, I absolutely have concerns about that because if nothing's changed, then how are you moving it forward? Yeah. How does it get better? Right. How did, how did, how did that, but also like, I'm a logical person sometimes um most of the time sometimes come on i know you <laughs> forget it yeah, sometimes you guys know me well enough um but if nothing's changed and the situation is still the same how are you going into phase two like i just don't i don't i don't know that i personally understand that i'm not speaking for the company i'm just speaking for myself well, but, because, but right. you know but that sort of informs you you know I, 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 your moves because you don't want to, I mean, there are people that I've talked to who are like, it's over, you know, we're going to, we're going to, you know, go through it's over. We're going to white, we're going to open up and life's going to be great again. And I'm not talking about Donald Trump. I'm talking about real people. And um, yeah, no. <laughs> so, so, you I know, like that, clarification uh, there, David, <laughs> there you go. But I but, think, but I, but Dave, I think what you've been doing is great. Cause you, you're what I think, what we've been seeing is people thinking outside the box and being like, okay, I cannot function as normal. 
I have to come up with other methods to get either my product or my food or my beer or whatever it is into the hands of people who want it. The CSB is a great example, but you guys also haven't stopped brewing. Like you're still creating. Yeah. Yeah. We're still, we're still creating um, almost a hundred percent in cans just because those are, those are commodities that we can send out to stores and we can put in people's hands, um, things like that. Um, trying to conserve on glass um, and really, I mean, with draft being at basically zero um, because of bars and restaurants not being open. Mm-hmm. Um, so everything's going in cans and we have actually created a whole bunch of new beers, which is another fun thing about the CSB is that you get access to some beers that no one else will ever see unless you're in the CSB or you're going to get a preview of it before it ever goes to market. So um, that's that's one of the fun things and we've done. Um, the lab we just did with Manor Hill, which is out of Maryland. Um, mm-hmm. A good friend of ours, uh, Brandon Milhouse, who used to actually be our head brewer. We actually did a virtual collab with them where they were, they were basically Skyping each other and, and while making the beer, which- That's cool. <laughs> just like- it, yeah, it's pretty cool, but I, but I mean, it's indicative. I've, I mean, I had FaceTime before COVID, but I never had meetings or virtual happy hours on Zoom before COVID. Like, never did that. Well, and it's now, a new I mean, world. We didn't, and now we're we didn't, beer we didn't do our show like this. I mean, but, our show. Oh, right. Wait, Dave, I, I want to jump in because we did have the CSB box. There was a, the, the, I can't remember the name of it, the Hazy Pale Ale that was in there. Diamonds are forever. Yes. Forever. Oh my <laughs> God, that is spectacular! And I laid yeah, a couple of those on a neighbor, and he's like, "How much can I get, and where can I get it?" So, <laughs> so quick question: You guys are doing. Um, we're gonna have to wrap up. We, you guys are doing a Black Lives Matters fundraiser. What are you doing? So we brewed. So it's an it's an international program. Um, Basically, breweries across the world are making this beer to support uh, local charities in the movement for Black Lives Matter. In our case, we're doing mm-hmm. uh, Black is Beautiful for um, Black Lives Matter. DC is going to receive the profits from that. Um, Excellent. It's, it's an imperial stout. It's just something we felt we wanted to be a part of. We wanted to support the movement. And since, you know, I'm not going down to any rallies standing shoulder to shoulder with people. So um, mm-hmm. we thought this was one good way we could we could contribute to the efforts. I love it. All right, Dave, tell everybody where they can find uh, Three Star and all the opportunities for the CSB and your beers. So you can find all of it on our website, threestarsbrewing.com. Uh, mm-hmm. If you're looking for local mm-hmm. shops, uh, majority of DC grocery stores carry our products. Uh, so do all, any good liquor store will have our beer. Um, so if you have a, you know, a Rodman's or a Cairo Liquors or a Metro Liquors, um, all of them will have it. Odd provisions um, if you're up in the Columbia Heights area and uh, craft beer right. sellers. Yeah. So all those places, but you can always get it just directly from us through our website. And it is Excellent. good beer. 
All right, Dave, thank we want to thank you much. so much for joining us. We want to thank all of our guests for joining us today. It is weird to record our show a day early, not have everybody in studio eat Ashley's delicious cookies and try Dave's beer and uh, get a taste of everything that everybody's doing. But we are still doing the show. We're telling the stories that are going on in the D.C. food, wine, and hospitality community. Thank you so much for joining us today. And be safe out there. Wear a mask. And we'll see you next week.